it's all about the kids. And at the end of the day, when that kid goes to college and then goes out and looks for a job, uh, the guy or, 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 or gal sitting across from the desk isn't going to say, well, you, you answered those questions pretty good for having gone to a high-poverty huh. school or coming from a high-poverty background. The employer just wants to know if you know the right answer. So the ultimate equalizer is that at employment at age 22, 23, and so we, we have to um, understand that if we're going to get to a level playing field for our kids and even out society, we, we have to keep uh, score the way it is. You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what's new and innovative in education. Today, we're talking about our recent visit to University Academy, a K-12 charter public school in Kansas City, Missouri. The school emphasizes college prep, career development, community service, and leadership. And Tom chatted more about how University Academy came to be with Bush Helsberg, whose family helped found the school in the late 90s. Bush has been chairman of University Academy for almost 10 years, as well as president and founder of the Friends of University Academy Foundation. Here's more from their conversation. Where did the idea for University Academy come from? Well, back in the mid-1990s, My father was turning 60, and he decided to take our family on a a vacation, and it was actually a cruise in Alaska, and my brother and I wanted to bring girlfriends, and my parents said, no, you know, we just want to be with you, you two, and we have an agenda. We We want to discuss potentially big philanthropic project they had you know, supported many philanthropic things, but they were thinking about doing something really big and something impactful that was needed and not being addressed. And so anyway, we they assured us that there'd be a lot of young people on the boat. But when we got there, the average age was about 80. I've, and, I've been on those cruises. I... <laughs> so anyway, we spent a lot of time discussing philanthropy and what sort of project they might want to get involved in and sort of came down on K-12 education in Kansas City, Missouri. The district had been failing students for four or five decades and, uh, you know, there was just, it's just a terrible situation when you have people who, by virtue of being born in a certain zip code and not having, you know, the resources to either go to a private school or move, end up, you know, getting a terrible education and, you know, basically having all, you know, really good opportunities foreclosed as a a result of that. So anyway, they spent a couple of years investigating various ideas for impacting K-12 education. They looked at vouchers. They looked at after-school programs. They looked at even starting a private school. And, you know, around that time, 19, well, I guess in 1996, they heard a guy named Dr. Joe Nathan from the Center for School Change speak and um, got very enthusiastic about charter public schools, but Missouri didn't have a law yet, um, and they continued their investigation, and then in 1998, Missouri passed a fairly good charter school law, and so they teamed up with a couple other people, Lynn Brown and Tom Block, who they had been, you know, looking at various ideas with, and they founded University Academy uh, really in 99, but opened the doors in fall of 2000. 
one of the striking things about University Academy is the uh, the intense focus on college preparation and now college completion. Uh, where where did that come from? Well, I mean, the mission of the school has never changed. So that really came from the founders. You know, they wanted to prepare students to succeed in an institution of higher education and to become leaders in society. And so they very much felt that, you know, students living in the Kansas City, Missouri School District deserve the opportunity to have a high-quality college preparatory education. And so that, from day one, was the idea and um, we've always stuck with that. And over the years, we've, you know, had facilitated retreats and we've reaffirmed the mission. And I don't think that the mission will ever change. I love being involved. I'm totally passionate about the mission of the school. And uh, I think that we're having a big impact in Kansas City. And I think, you know, Kansas City is actually a really interesting place where, you know, charter schools have a 40% market share, which I think is fourth or fifth in the country. So it's a pretty interesting uh, situation where I think charter schools are helping transform educational opportunities in a whole district. To dive even deeper into what University Academy is accomplishing, Tom spoke with University Academy leadership about the work they're doing to provide a meaningful and comprehensive experience for their students, as well as the important role that teacher talent holds at University Academy. They are very strategic about attracting talent, developing talent, and then celebrating educator success. We just had a great visit to University Academy. We're on the south side of Kansas City uh, with the school leaders, uh, Tony and Rebecca. And we'll talk about uh, University Academy. Uh, Tony, who goes to school here? Well, kids that live in the Kansas City Public School District um, are eligible to apply here, and it's a lottery admission. We uh, tend to be about 98% African American, mostly from the east and northeast side of Kansas City, and approximately 70% free and reduced lunch over the years. How did they get to school? Uh, we bus from all corners of Kansas City. We run 14 buses a day for about 800 kids that ride the bus. Some of them have to travel quite a bit, but they're they're willing to make the commitment to get here. Rebecca, why do you think um, parents choose University Academy? Why do they put their names in the lottery? What are they looking for? Um, University Academy offers um, a safe alternative to the Kansas City Public School District, and with our mission being 100%, um, graduation rate and then on to college and graduating and coming back and giving to the community. Um, we've been around long enough to see that start to come to fruition and it's just a really excellent option for parents. Tony, you guys have a vision to be the best K-12 college prep charter school in the country. How, how are you doing on that vision? Yeah, no pressure, right? Uh, the board put that uh, vision in place uh, I think about 15 years ago. And um, it, it really gives us something to strive for because we've been at a, in a nice place near the top um, locally in state for a while, but it means you still have to keep striving. You can never uh, take it easy. So we always talk about you can't be the best in the country until you're the best in your city and the best in your state. We have some stiff competition locally, which we're thankful for. It pushes us to new levels. Um, this last year, based on state test scores, we had the number one public high school in the state of Missouri, which we're very proud of. Um, and our kids are doing pretty well in college, but there's still room to go. Um, it's not just about being the best urban school or the best charter school. Uh, we just want to be the best school, period. 
And uh, while we have great uh, test scores, we, we know we have some work to do with our ACT in particular to catch up to a, a couple of local suburban schools and, uh, and really put our kids to be even more uh, competitive uh, for, for college. So what we're really focused on now is trying to go from this 21-22 range for ACT up to the 24-25, more typical of what you'd see coming out of the private schools. It looks like U.S. News ranks your school highly. Yes. Uh, one interesting thing about uh, the two of you is you'd never talk about the level of poverty when you talk about being the best. I mean, you're probably the best high-poverty high school in the country, or, or certainly one of a very small handful. Something that we're aware of and uh, we're proud of, but the reason we don't talk about it is because uh, it's all about the kids. And at the end of the day, when that kid goes to college and then goes out and looks for a job, uh, the guy or, 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 or gal sitting across from the desk isn't going to say, well, you, you answered those questions pretty good for having gone to a high-poverty oh. school or coming from a high-poverty background. The employer just wants to know if you know the right answer. So the ultimate equalizer is that at employment at age 22, 23, and so we, we have to um, understand that if we're going to get to a level playing field for our kids and even out in society, we, we have to keep uh, score the way it is. Rebecca, we met some really extraordinary teachers this morning. Um, tell me about, uh, first of all, where, where do they come from? What are you looking for when you hire um, well, we, we try to always hire three to five years experience, um, several reasons for that. Um, we feel like for the high school level anyway, we want to offer many dual credit courses and um, seasons teachers who might have three to five years typically would have their master's in that subject matter and can offer that here on we campus. Actually, we saw a lot of advanced degrees today, including some PhDs, right? Yes, we did. We have a, a French teacher and... Um, Oh, our, our biology teacher as well. Uh huh. Tell me about what, uh, so once they're here, what, what does induction look like? So we have an onboarding um, new teacher induction program. Of course, it meets state requirements, but built in-house and um, tailored after those state guidelines. We meet once a week and um, two, two realms, I guess. First of all, on Mondays, it's just new teachers, new to UA and new to the profession. And then... Um, twice a month teachers who are just new to us so maybe these three to five years you know obviously every now and then we do need to take a, a new teacher right out of the gate and um, feel like we really um, provide everything they need to be successful and a lot of that first year is just the UA way so that we let them know exactly how we do things here and the level of expectation. We saw evidence this morning of a, a remarkably good evaluation system Correct. Tell we, me about that. Yeah, we use the knee system, which um, was out of the University of Missouri, but it is aligned to Missouri standards. What does it um, we, stand for? The Network for Educator Effectiveness. And that's just Missouri. Correct. Unfortunately, because it's right. a really good system. <laughs> Correct. Um, it, it, we choose to focus on four standards, and so principals will um, go into a classroom for a 10-minute duration, no longer than that, and they're looking, for us specifically, we're looking for four things. Critical thinking, cognitive engagement, time uh, on task, so basically how the, the teacher manages the classroom, and finally, finally, formative assessment, that uh, are they getting it or are and they the not? evaluation has a really good rubric behind each of those. Absolutely. Um, it, it's no guesswork. The principal knows when he or she walks into the room exactly what they are looking for and are quickly able to assess that and then in turn within and 24 hours. And you actually hours. do some coaching to ensure inter-rater reliability, right? Yes, we do. Um, so coach... Uh, High school, school principal will go down and 
evaluate an elementary teacher. That's right, and we uh, we do that internally just to make sure that we are all giving the correct scores. And um, teachers receive feedback within 24 hours and have a face-to-face -face conversation. Oh. Um, and then if we see areas of deficiency or growth, for that matter, then on our professional development days, we would either perhaps bring in uh, something or structure that time to um, coach up if necessary, or if we have someone that's really a shining star, we will put that teacher on spotlight. What, what about individual uh, development? How does an evaluation feed into an individual teacher's plan? Each year they write a professional development plan and then um, based on either areas that they are weak on their knee observations, that teacher will seek out opportunities to grow themselves and that can be done in-house or um, typically we do provide that in-house but and occasionally. You have, a, you have a good online system for professional development, uh, online resources. Oh, EdHub, absolutely. So um, if a teacher is struggling, then they can just log in and, and take some of those modules. Um, that's another system that works hand-in-hand -hand with the knee. Um, principals can even assign specific um, tutorials, if you will, that teachers can complete, and then that data is provided back to the principal. So, Tony, all of this is um, linked to the, the compensation system in a, in a really unique way. Tell me about that. Sure. Um, so <clears throat> we like to do uh, evaluations out of 100 points, and, and uh, the knee, the classroom observations uh, that we see, which are between 6 and 10 a year, make up 40% of the teacher's evaluation. The PDP, the professional development plan that Rebecca mentioned, is, um, is 5%. And uh, no, I'm sorry, 15%. And then the unit of instruction is 5%. So, so 60% of the evaluation is really tied hand in hand with this research-proven um, uh, model uh, that's from the University of, of Missouri. And why it's so high on that and not as high on student achievement is because it, we feel that the teachers are doing what we ask them to do, um, and uh, that's working, then we ask them to do the right thing. But if they're doing what we ask them to do, we ask them in, to do the wrong thing, that's not their fault. So it's really about are they buying into what the administration is, is, uh, is pushing and then the results let us know if we're going the right way. The other components of that system, 20% has to do with student achievement. We're looking for both um, raw results on, on state or internal benchmarks, and everybody takes it. The math teacher has that same as the music teacher and the PE teacher and the Spanish teacher. Um, and we're also looking growth for, for growth. How did the kids do at the beginning of the year versus the end of the year? Then there's some other points on professionalism. You know, are you on time? Do you return parent phone calls? Um, uh, do, do you follow protocols? And um, uh, those who get 85 uh, to 100 get a 5% year-over-year raise, um, between 70 and 84, 3%. And then anything uh, below, it'd be a 1%, um, where it may be that uh, you're just not coming back at that point. But I'm happy to report that I, I believe over 90% of our teachers last year got a 5% raise. And you might say, well, how are you going to sustain that over time? Uh, I, would, I would retort back that uh, if our teachers are doing what we ask them to do and we're getting the kind of student achievement that we're, we're getting, it's less money we have to spend on consultants and interventions and, uh, and you know, fancy lunches and stuff, <laughs> and, and, and it, it should go to the people that are doing the work. Uh, Rebecca, on the subject of pay, it looks like you are uh, you try to be on the on the high end of the pay scale to be really competitive. Yes, we that's another part where we can feel like we can really draw excellent teachers. Um, you know, that's the education world, beg, borrow, or steal. So um, we have actually 
received some really great educators here at University Academy that were local and, and um, fit our mission and goal and our needs. And then that pay scale, yeah. it really attracted them to come. So great environment and great pay system right? and strong supports. Correct, and we just administrator. Right, we really just feel like that we um, we do support the teacher that chooses to come work at University Academy from day one. Um, I mean, they come in the summer and we treat them to lunch, and we really just go through what it looks like here, and then um, they're assigned a mentor or an ambassador teacher, depending on if they're new to UA or if, it, if they're a seasoned teacher, and um, again go through that uh, program to help them acclimate. You're listening to Tom Vanderark interview Tony and Rebecca, school leaders at University Academy in Kansas City. For more stories on great schools doing great work, check out our back-to-school episode featuring Thrive Public Schools, our interview with the New Tech Network leadership team, our interview with Horace Mann Principal Liz Wisnant, and of course, many, many more, all found on the Getting Smart Podcast iTunes channel. Now back to the University Academy team as they share why they use a comprehensive approach to programming that extends beyond solely academics to help motivate their students. So Tony, um, academics come first at at UA, but um, this place obviously values um, athletics and activities. Why why do you think that's so important? Well, I think it's uh, important because different kids have different uh, motivations for going to, to, to school and doing well. And also, um, it provides different opportunities for kids to earn different kinds of scholarship dollars. Of course, we have kids that do well and get a math scholarship, but we also might have a kid that does well and gets an athletic scholarship or a trumpet scholarship, or um, probably more common than we might guess, it's all three. Um, They're academic, athletic, and and performing arts, and and very attractive to those colleges. A couple years ago, I gave a a speech to the staff, and I used Stanford as the model. I think everybody's aware of Stanford, and you could throw in Michigan or Notre Dame or whatnot. But there are a lot of really, really uh, high-level, elite academic colleges that are also always at the top of the rankings in a variety of sports. Stanford has won more... um, uh, NCAA championships in men's and women's sports than anybody over the last uh, 30 years, and really second place isn't even close. They also happen to have an admissions rate of 5%. And, and oftentimes people think, well, you can't be good at sports and be hard to get into. And I would argue if you look at the top 20 rankings in a lot of sports in college level, it's, it's kids that can do both. And so I challenged our staff, we're going to be good at everything we do. So the band teacher, you're gonna, we're going to try to be the number one band in the, in the, in the state. Football, we're going to try to be number one in the state. Basketball, robotics, whatever. We're, we don't want to just offer participation. We really do want to be the best at everything we do. We met an English teacher today, and he was getting ready to teach a unit on poetry. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I was surprised to find out that he was really excited about your athletics. He wanted everybody wearing UA gear and... Sounds like he's kind of a live wire at the pep rally. Yes, uh, he's, he's the MC, and, and he embodies what so many of our kids embody, which is they're good at a lot of, a lot of things. They've developed the, the whole person. So Mr. Blakemore teaches something you know, uh, like poetry, which you might not think of being associated with football. He's also uh, the de- uh, one of the defensive coaches on the football team, and he teaches these guys how to hit really hard. And it really just goes to show you can have different sides to your personality. The key that we stress is whatever it is you're doing at that moment in time, try to be the best at that, whether it be poetry, football, trumpet, whatever. Yeah. Rebecca, how do you know what's going on around here? What are the, what are the qualitative and quantitative ways that you 
monitor progress? Well, this is our third year to have internal benchmarks that are given um, grades kindergarten all the way through high school, um, K through six, K through eight, excuse me, take them in every single subject, um, obviously English and math, but art and music PE as well. And those are given four times a year. And internally, we just look at that data and um, the teams, I know you met in the third grade, for example, they are um, an interdisciplinary team, and they look at that and see where their students are, and then um, where do they need to adjust their instruction to meet the needs of students that may be falling behind, or if we have students that are um, excelling on those benchmarks, what are we going to do to then challenge them? At the high school, we do our mastery testing, and that is um, students are given the opportunity to master an assessment, and they have to do that with an 80%. And so they're given the initial opportunity and then two additional chances to be successful with that content. And we have found that by following that mastery protocol, students are very successful on the state assessment. And that you have end of end of course exams. We do correct there. So th this mastery um, tracking really does make sure that they're making progress adequate to uh, to to pass with flying colors that end of course exam. Absolutely, and that end of course exam results is one of the things that has ranked us as the number one high school. Um, in the state of Missouri. But yes, we found that as students, if they go through that protocol of passing, at least by the third time, that they are very successful on the end of course. Tony, it's obvious when you walk in the front door that this place is really about college. This is a college prep uh, K-12 school. At the front door, we saw all the colleges that your graduates uh, attend mm -hmm. today. Um, what, what are the key elements of creating um, a great college prep school? Well, I think uh, it starts with expectations from the governance structure from the board, and they they have lofty goals, but then they're they're there for us and they support us all, um, and they've been on the board. Some of our board members have been with us for sixteen years, so they've seen the mission through and they've been willing to take the time to do that. Um, it it starts with the culture of the school, high expectations both for academics and for personal uh, conduct, and taking a long look um, at an investment on a kid, not just for short term, uh, uh, you know, test scores or or gain. We have to develop the whole student, a student that not only can perform well enough to get into the college of their choice, but also will have the skills to um, survive away from home with students that uh, might be from all over the world or all over the country that they're not familiar with and uh, improper uh, financial planning. So it's our, it, different people in the building have different jobs. The teachers obviously are getting that academic base. Um, our counselors are doing a great job giving those students the personal grit and fortitude skills and the ability to, to inter, interrelate with folks. And then uh, as an administrator, my job is to, is to accurately provide resources to those, very, the, those different um, areas and make sure we don't um, leave an important part of somebody's development underfunded. So in terms of providing resources, we saw a couple things that seem to be part of the secret sauce. You have a, um, surprisingly, travel abroad is part of that secret sauce. You have an increasing number of students that, uh, after a junior year, travel Sophomore abroad? Sophomore or junior year, yeah. So why is that important? So uh, 10 years ago, before even my time here, uh, uh, one of our board members who had uh, was, a, was in Peace Corps himself as a younger man, um, really valued that international experience and thought that would be good for our kids to, to do. And so he was funding uh, one or two kids a year to go. And then when we looked over time, we saw those kids were graduating from college at a very high rate. 
And so we decided to experiment and kind of double down on that. And uh, just this last year, we sent 22 uh, kids either after their 10th or 11th grade year to different countries through two partner programs. And these are kids that in many cases haven't even been out of the state. Correct. Utilizing two partners, which I have to mention, Experiments in International Living and Student Diplomacy Corps, both great programs. And uh, in fact, 72% of our graduates from the class of 2017 will have traveled abroad sometime during wow. high school, um, way higher than uh, the national average. So um, we find that colleges find that attractive. There is a big difference in scholarship money. Um, the, the average travel abroad kid uh, last year got $240,000 in scholarship offers, um, which is a, a $100,000 more than, than the class average in general. So we think it's working. The feedback from the alumni uh, love it. It really helps the kids feel more included uh, on college campuses if they're around kids that are either international themselves or have had those similar experiences. And, and so it seems to be a high that. priority for your uh, the, the friends of UA. Uh, have made this a priority as well to help they, support. They have, and really it comes down to it's a mathematical investment. You know, if we can raise $6,000 to send a kid overseas over the summer, and we know that that's going to, that, that experience is probably going to parlay itself into $120,000 in scholarship offers, um, it's a lot cheaper to give 6000 than try to fund, fund one twenty yourself. To be able to write about your international experiences uh, on a scholarship application or a college admissions thing is very unique and really has given our kids a competitive advantage on top of the experience itself. So the other part of the secret sauce appears to be the junior and senior seminar. What what do they learn in that seminar? Well, the seminar is taught every day, the junior year and the senior year, by the college counselor. So think about traditional schools. Uh, you're going to see your counselor 30 minutes, uh, maybe once a semester, and the counselor may or may not know you that well. And they're just going to look at your numbers and say, hey, based on your test scores, these are the places you should look. This teacher has been here for years, knows these kids, and he has these, these classes with them every day those last two years. That junior year, we're going to do a lot of career exploration. We're going to take an ACT prep class taught by Princeton Review for six weeks. We are going to visit some college campuses. We're going to study um, uh, books like the, highly su- uh, the, the Habits of Highly Successful Teens and whatnot and do a lot of uh, real critical thinking skills. Really also having some honest conversations about, let's walk through scenarios of Friday night, one in the morning, your freshman year of college, and what are the different obstacles you're going to be facing. Um, talk about things like, what is a bursar? What is a registrar? What is an RA? So that we're getting on the college campus isn't so, so, so foreign if it's a first-generation student. The second uh, year, that senior seminar, that's when the colleges that come to recruit, which we're fortunate to have a lot, will come and present to those seniors and recruit. We're going to have 37 colleges visit this year. Uh, We're also going to do some ACT prep uh, for the October administration. We're going to visit. Uh, we're going to visit colleges, and we're going to give the kids the most important thing, Tom, and that is time to apply to colleges, time to apply to scholarships with an experienced adult in the room. When we have kids do this on their own at home, and they might have a noisy house or no computer access, it really becomes uh, uh, one of those social injustices. You know, I, I don't have the time and the space and the help to apply for these things as, as kids maybe in a different zip code. It's a real equalizer for us, and it's one of the reasons um, uh, we've really picked up our, uh, our performance over the last five years since putting it in. Tony and Rebecca, thanks for letting me visit what appears to be one of the best K-12 college prep schools in the country. Thanks. Our pleasure. Thank Thank you. Thanks to everyone at University Academy for their passion and dedication to good work. And thanks for Bush Hellsberg for sharing his story with us and his passion about the school as well. 
For more examples and inspiration, visit our blog at gettingsmart.com and be sure to check out more episodes on the Getting Smart Podcast iTunes channel. And while you're there, subscribe and rate us. For the Getting Smart Podcast, this is Kat signing off.